This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hello, welcome back, friend. Whether you've been here before or you're listening for the first time, I love sharing about this podcast. Finding Something Real is an intentional journey designed especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. As someone who's been through my own ups and downs with faith, I wanted to create a special place for people to process and address questions about God and Christianity. Finding Something Real is about finding restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are things I believe we all desire that Jesus Christ has the ultimate answers for. You see, I don't just believe in Jesus because he's changed my life, although he has. I believe in him because he's radically real and there's nothing better. So if you find that all hard to believe, I understand that. And if you're skeptical, hey, you've come to the right place. But I invite people to just go on a journey with me. So today we're diving deeper into season six with my co-host this month, Gaia from Italy. The way this podcast works is a little different than other podcasts. Here, every month, we try to invite a different young woman to share her story, to talk about her questions, and then we invite on Christian guests who can address her honest questions or topics. So this month, you're listening to episodes curated by my friend Gaia. In last week's episode, Gaia shared a bit about herself and her Italian culture. She shared about her history with religion, and she talked about faith questions that she is asking. One of the issues that Gaia brought up was about the character of God. Is he still good and loving if we don't like some things we read about him in the Bible? How do we know that he's trustworthy? And today's guest is going to really engage in that conversation with Gaia. One of the things that today's guest says is that relationship with God is the primary purpose of our very existence. I am so grateful for this conversation, both to my guest and Gaia for today's episode. It is definitely a conversation that may challenge you because again, as our guest said and shares today, he says, we tend to like some things about God and not others. Friend, we'll dive into that conversation in just a moment, but first a few words regarding stuff that helps keep us on the air. Hi friend, this is Tara Catherine, assistant producer here of the Finding Something Real podcast. This podcast is supported by listeners like you, so please comment, subscribe, follow, like, share, all the things. And one of the biggest things you can do to help keep this podcast on the air is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love your reviews. Your public feedback is a huge help to show others that we are not alone over here. So will you please do us a favor? As long as you're not driving right this minute, will you hit pause and go write a review? It won't take more than maybe 30 seconds of your time. Maybe you'll even hear your review on here in a future episode. This week, we would like to give special thanks to reviewer Life102. Life102 writes, Realness is hard to find these days, but not on this podcast. Janelle has a wonderful way of finding guests to express the realness in their lives and how God is in their realness. Thanks, Janelle. Keep them coming. I will be listening. Thank you, Life102, and thank you, listener, in advance for helping tell others about this podcast by leaving your review. Hi, friend. This podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. 
Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for Finding Something Real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. Well, welcome back, friends, to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I am so excited that you are listening in for season six, where we are starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. We've been doing this podcast format like this for the past couple years, and I just love it so much because each month we get to hear a young woman share from her personal story. This month, we started out by introducing Gaia from Italy. Gaia shared about growing up in the Italian culture, about her year as an exchange student here in America, the recent loss of her beloved grandmother, and her spiritual journey thus far. She also shared some questions she has about God and Christianity. In that initial conversation with Gaia, she shared quite a bit about questions she has around the Bible and the character of God. We had quite a passionate conversation. She described how an interaction with an American friend regarding God's view of sexuality upset her a bit. She shared how she doesn't think God cares who we love, um, that she believes he just cares about who we are and that we love people the way he loves us and God loves everyone. And she was very passionate when expressing her opinions on that. Um, she asked, why does it matter who we love? If the Bible says the act of homosexuality is wrong, why does God even care? Who wrote the Bible? Why is it authoritative? How does that actually translate to today's culture? Is God still loving if he says that certain behaviors are not in someone's best interests? Now, all that to say, I doubt very much we're going to sift through all of those questions here in today's conversation, but we're going to just scratch the surface. So come back for the rest of this month where we dive deeper into these topics. But we're going to start addressing some of those questions with today's special guest. Before I introduce who we have here today, I have to introduce somebody else who's here. And I'm so grateful. I'm excited to welcome back my co-host for this month, Gaia, coming all the way from Italy. Gaia, welcome back. Hi. Hi. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Gaia, thank you for making it. I know you have exams and you said you have a lot going on. Um, how yeah, come you're- My how... life is very busy right now. <laughs> what made you show up here today? I know it's been several months since we recorded that first episode. Yeah. So I was really looking forward because I really love our first conversation. It got very deep. I've been thinking about it so much. And also I was really curious about, uh, you know, um, reaching out and approaching to someone that actually knows more about this mm -hmm. also because 
because I've been thinking about my questions and I've been experiencing again, um, questioning myself about this. So I thought, okay, I'm going to just put a point to this. I want, I want to understand. I re I'm really curious. I want to understand, you know, really wanting to understand and really wanting to know that's what, you know, maybe be here. Uh, I'm so glad. I, I love the faith seeking understanding. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I just, I really appreciate your, your seeking, Gaia. Um, and I think today is going to be a really beautiful conversation. Today's guest has been a husband for 34 years. He's the father of two daughters and two sons. He's a professor of theology at Biola University. He's a frequent guest um, speaker at churches, conferences, and retreats, in addition to pastoring Grace Evangelical Free Church of La Mirada. I may have mispronounced that. I forgot to clarify the, the pronunciation on that. He has received the University Award for Faculty Excellence and Professor of the Year. His research interests include godly jealousy, the atonement, the exclusivity of Christ, and the theology of culture. I am very excited to welcome him today. Welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Eric Tanis. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Janelle. Really good to be here. <laughs> now I know I I think I pronounced your last name correctly, but perfect. I didn't pronounce your church town. No, La Mirada. You said it perfectly. La Mirada. Yeah. I'm I'm quite uh, infamous for mispronouncing lots of things on the podcast. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it makes it very relatable. Um, so Eric, you are a professor at, at Biola, um, a really well-known school in California. Um, why are you passionate about working with university students? Well, I love college so much myself, I figured out a way to basically stay in it the rest of my life by becoming a college professor. I love working with college students because they tend to be at a phase of their life where they already have some pretty well-developed character and perspectives and goals in life, but they're still malleable. They're not set in their ways wanting to just keep things moving in a direction lucratively or with reputation. They're actually willing to say, wait, I never thought about that before. This may change everything. Typically revival in the church has happened among the young as the catalyst for that. And so I just love the phase of their life. They make me laugh. They, they keep me young. I'm, I'm just, I love a university setting and just dearly love my students. Mm. I love that. In preparation for our conversation today, I watched a couple videos of you giving lectures or talks. One of them was a lecture to your students about the character of God. And you were so passionate. And some of the comments on the YouTube video, and I'll link it in the show notes for anyone listening. Um, one of the comments said, I wish I had a theology professor like this. I feel like this is the type of person I need to learn from. So um, really high, high regard uh, over there. <laughs> I don't even know if that was a Biola student, but I thought that was pretty special. Um, one of the questions I had for you, though, is do you feel like theology is uh, a relevant topic for every student today? Do you feel like that's something that people should be studying? And if so, why? Well, I could. I don't think it could be any more relevant than it is. And, and we theologians haven't often done a good job helping people understand how incredibly relevant and practically meaningful understanding God and his ways really is for our lives. We can get 
caught up in theoretical conversations in academic settings and people are sitting there saying, who cares? Why does this matter? And so one of my primary goals is to help people understand how intensely practical and relevant to our lives God is. God has made us for himself from a Christian worldview and he is the center of our lives. He's the creator of everything. And he's the one we're made for more than anything else. So relationship with God is the primary purpose for our very existence. So knowing that God, understanding who he created us to be and what a meaningful life actually is from the perspective of our creator is where everything has to start. If we don't have an understanding of who made us and who we are and what the purpose of our lives are, we're going to grope around looking for meaning in all the wrong places and in the dark. And so I think all of our ultimate problems end up with the wrong view of God. And the things that go well in our lives ultimately start with a right view of God. And so, yeah, I think every area of our lives should be affected in deep and profound ways by our understanding of who God is. Yeah. I, I agree with that from my own experience um, when I was really struggling in my faith. You know, I remember doing this Bible study. It was a Beth Moore Bible study, and it was about believing God. And it was all about knowing who he is. Um, and, and then, like, it trickling down into, you know, this understanding of yourself. But it started with him. And the other day I was reading on the airplane um, a book by A.W. Tozer, and the very first line in there was, you know, what you believe about God is the most interesting thing about you. And I just thought, wow, <laughs> it's so true. Um, did you always have a high view of God, and were you always interested in faith? Um, Eric, where does your passion for the Lord come from? My mother led my brother and me to Christ when we were little kids, and she'd read the Bible to us. And so even though my growing up years weren't easy in many ways, my relationship with, with God through Jesus has been the defining reality of my life as long as I can remember. And I'm profoundly thankful for that. And it, it changed everything and has, has become the anchor of my life and the primary perspective not just of my life, but of everything. So so the way I view everything in life, from art to music to sex to recreation to entertainment choices to money to to marriage to being the dad of four great kids to being a, a professor and a pastor and a neighbor and a son, it's all in light of my relationship with God. He He's everything to me. He's not just a really important part of my life. He is my life. And he's the one through whom I see everything else. And so so there's there's an entire view of reality that comes with knowing the God who created everything. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question, and I'm going to let Gaia kind of start taking it from here because I know she's got lots of questions. And Gaia, if uh, we have any technical difficulties or you want me to ask anything, I've got a lot here. Um Eric, I love your passion for the Lord. And I, I guess I actually have two questions because I just am curious for my own sake. How do you cultivate a passion like yours? And also, what do you know of God's character? Well, passion's probably the word people use for me most when they describe me, people who like me at least. But <laughs> but um, what, I, what I wouldn't want to do is 
overrate it in a, a value of, of me in the way it looks. So I'm just an expressive person. If you got me going up about my favorite pizza made by Italians on Worcester Street, New Haven, Connecticut, I, I would get passionate about it. So I'm just I'm just somebody who is uh, I love emotion. I feel emotions deeply. I express them. So I wouldn't want passion to be defined by a personality type in particular or somebody who talks excitedly about things necessarily or or is is like, just like I am because there can be personality types that are far more reserved and quiet but deeply passionate. So the first thing is to not just reduce passion to excitement or or expressiveness which is often what we can do or charisma for that matter. God values character more than charisma and and integrity more than expressiveness. So I think, especially in an American context, we can define passion often by someone who is really expressive and charismatic, but but it, it's deeper than that. It's, it's what drives you and motivates you and everything and leads you to live a life even of self-sacrifice for what you believe in and are committed to most. And that can look quiet, it can look introverted, it, it can look even shy. So, so let's not think personality, let's think commitment and devotion to what you care most about. And everybody has something they're passionate about. It, it may be something worthless. It may be something meaningful for eternity, but, but everybody's committed to something. Everybody worships, everybody devotes themselves to something. So I think passion is what we ultimately are devoting ourselves to and giving our lives to and whether we're very expressive about that or not isn't isn't the ultimate question. But are we living lives in light of that ultimate driving force? That is the question of what real passion is. And cultivating it is just attending to the ways God reveals Himself and the way God transforms us to be more Godward. So the Word and prayer and worship and fellowship and service and suffering to the glory of God and proclaiming the greatness of God and caring about missions all in the local church context is the way we fuel the fire of a passion for Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So in your time of cultivating, uh, over the last, I, I'm, I'm not going to guess your age, but a long, long time, maybe. 58. 58. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have you learned about God's character that keeps you coming back for more? Right. That was your second question, right? I have learned that he is trustworthy. Uh, I The reason I trust the promises of God is because of his faithfulness, is because he knows everything. He's not going to get information tomorrow. He lacked when he made the promises he's made. He's all powerful. Is he actually able to accomplish what he said he's going to do? He's wise. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's gracious. And his love is always motivated by his wisdom. And I, I really want to love people. I do. It's a driving concern for me. But I often love people stupidly in ways that actually isn't helpful, especially my kids. I, 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 I can't figure them out sometimes. They're all so different. And so I love that God is never lacking wisdom in his love. He's never lacking the ability to accomplish what his love sets out to do. And so I would say the glory of God, which is beholding God for who he is and then living a life that glorifies him out of that, is dependent on what we would call the unity of his attributes. 
we tend to bifurcate and divide out his attributes or focus on three or four of them more than any other. But if God's love isn't holy love, it's not God's love. And if God's holiness isn't loving holiness, it's not God's holiness. And so as much as we can as finite creatures, we've got to step back and consider who God has revealed himself to be and understand him with his attributes considered interdependently not separated out or we get really warped views of what not only who god is but what each attribute is because if god's love isn't pure love it's not god's love and, and if his his judge justice isn't patient justice it's not justice but if his patience isn't just it's just not caring and so so considering god's attributes interdependently in a unified way his character in other words is what we need to do if I made a list of of 10 things about Gaia or you and sought to know you through those, that would be helpful, but I can't separate those out. I need to know you as a person, not just a list of attributes. And so I'm, I'm after the character of God in a very unified, personal, holistic way. And that that's at the heart of, of my study of God, my learning about God. And when I try to teach my students, we, we tend to like some things about God and not others. And so we write songs and we meditate on and we teach on, you know, love, mercy, kindness, but we don't know what to do with justice and wrath and holiness. Uh, and, and so we just sort of push them aside. And then we become very consumeristic and approach God with our list of what he better be like if he's going to get our worship instead of going to our creator saying, what are you like? And I'll worship you for who you are. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Gaia, I know you've got some questions or thoughts, so you, you go ahead and I'm, I'm here if you have any questions. Thank you. So first of all, I am so, I don't know, this is getting very interesting. I'm so amazed by this, um, all those thoughts, they're very, very deep and meaningful. So thank you for sharing. And also thank you for answering my questions because I know you're certainly going to. So, um, what really pushed me to start this was a conversation that I had with um, an American person when I was in America about um, being gay, essentially. So I remember saying that um, God loves everyone because that's what I was taught. I was taught when I was you know, younger. I was told that God loves everyone, no matter who, no matter where, no matter what, no matter what race, what age, no matter what sex. And then it just sounded weird to me that someone told me God didn't assign us to be that way, referring to gay people, because I thought that it didn't make sense. Like God just assigned people. And then if we decide who we are following God's guide and following what's right, what's not right for us, um, depending on the ethical thoughts that we have and what we were taught when we were, what we learned throughout the life but it just sounded really I don't know it really upset me to hear that God didn't assign us to be somehow because I don't think he did I don't think he designed us to be somehow he just cares that we exist and he's going to be there for us I love your questions I love I love your honesty guy I love your desire to learn I think apathy is one of the great problems of our day and you're not an apathetic woman. And I love that. You, you really care about seeking truth and listening to people you may not even agree with, but you 
are humble enough to seek understanding from from others. So I, I so appreciate that. I love it. You are the kind of person I love teaching here at Viola because <laughs> of, of that <laughs> attitude. So I love your questions. They're fantastic questions. And I think a, a good answer to them gets back to what I was just saying about the unity of God's attributes. So what we tend to do is know the Bible says God is love. And then what we will do then is sort of flip that around and say, well, if God is love, love is God. And we reduce God to that one attribute of love. And what we do is we come to God with a predefined definition of love as basically uh, being for you no matter what. And there's truth to that in God's love. But like even on human relationships, when we're for someone, we're against things that are destructive to them and to others. And for a Christian, our first concern is, am I honoring God? Am I glorifying God with the way I'm living my life? Or am I living in a way that is dishonoring to God and destructive to myself and potentially others? And that's why we need to go to God for understanding his ways and his design for us. So first of all, on the sexuality issue, I think it's important to realize that it's, it's a pretty recent development historically that we view sexuality as something that defines us the way we do. So for all of human history, people viewed things like uh, homosexuality as a desire, a behavior, but in our day, it's become an identity. And, and I would never want to reduce someone to one of their desires or one of their behaviors. But that's what we're doing now. We're, we're turning people into uh, people who are this. So let me just give an example. As long as I can remember, I've battled impatience. I, I, I am an impatient man. It's a sin. The Bible says impatience is a sin. So I, my mother said when I was a toddler, if my blocks would fall, I'd get so angry and impatient with it. And it, so I still battle impatience. And guy, if you love me, you will not say, well, that's how God made you. And, uh, and you, you uh, snap at people and say unkind things out of your impatience. You'll exhibit some road rage now and then, but I'm going to affirm you in your impatience because I love you. No, if you love me, I would hope you would call me out of something that isn't God's ideal for me. And so just to affirm people, however they are, actually isn't loving. We see that clearly when someone is addicted to heroin or when they are uh, uh, perpetual liars. We say, this isn't a good way to live. You shouldn't be stealing money from work, right? So there are certain things, usually informed by the legal system, that we have no problem saying, because I'm for you, I'm against this in your life. And, and so love isn't just blind acceptance no matter what. At times, love corrects, rebukes, calls people out of certain behaviors because they're not according to God's design and they're destructive to the person and to them. And so when it comes to sexuality, God's design is men and women in relationship and loving each other in a, in a romantic and sexual way in the context of marriage is what God's design is. And that's what the, the foundation of the family, man, Italians understand family as much as any culture in the world, man, family is it, right? And so the beauty of that is at the heart of it 
is this relationship between a husband and a wife, a mother and a father that's beautiful and is God's design. And so to to do things according to God's design realizes what God's design is and then living our lives accordingly. And so so that's where freedom comes within the boundaries of God's design and his ways. And that's where flourishing comes as we really want it for each other. Long answer, but I hope that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you. Good. You're welcome. Um, and another question, uh, Janelle, correct me if I'm wrong, because I can't really remember the others. <laughs> so please help me with the questions. I forgot right. them. <laughs> and by the way, well, Gaia, please, please push back. Please argue with me. Say that's ridiculous. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Don't okay, feel, okay. feel complete freedom to say, I think that's crazy. And I think okay. that's and that's terrible and, and I can handle that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll go home with the other questions because maybe we will argue. Okay, good. <laughs> do do you want me okay. to jump yeah. in? Here? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please. Well, when we were talking before, um, Guy, I remember you saying, like, who said like um so maybe the Bible does have a few verses about, you know, homosexuality, the behavior being wrong. But then who wrote the Bible? Who said that that's wrong? Mm. And how does it still apply today? So I think that's a question that a lot of young people are asking today. I think they're getting a lot of information off of TikTok and different yeah. uh, short clips about here's a bunch of problems with the Bible and let's leave it here. Um, but we have an expert right in front of us. So why don't we ask him, who, why is the Bible authoritative um, and why should we be able to trust it? Because I think that that comes back to that character of God, because when we read scripture, when we read God's word, um, that's how that's one of the ways that God has revealed to us. Right. So we want to know that what we're reading is legit. Is that fair? Is that a fair way yeah. to represent your question? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Thank Great you. question. Great question, Gaia. I think the first thing to realize is that everyone has an authority structure or source that they ground their lives in. It's usually a collection of different ones. For a lot of us, our family of origin, our parents gave us a lot of the way we see the world. It's important to question that, but also appreciate it. For some of us, it was that, that English teacher in 10th grade who just wowed us with her intellect and, and really was influential on us or, you know, beginning of college, often there are influences and professors that really have a big impact. It may have been some of the reading we've done a lot in our lives. It may be uh, entertainer that we really look up to that speaks into issues that often she doesn't have much credibility speaking into, but does it anyway. I'm not sure why people think Taylor Swift has anything really helpful to say about politics, but they do. And so uh, Harry and Meghan, I'm not sure are going to be a source of authority for me, <laughs> but they are for a lot of people. So so everybody has authority they go to. And the que the question is, what is yours? What is mine? What do we go to to define reality for us? And it'll be different streams of, of authority and influence. But eventually we all settle on a way of viewing the world and reality based on certain sources. So no one is this sort of uh, person in a vacuum who just comes up with all their own ideas. We all uh, benefit from truth and error, and then it's a matter of discerning that. So what is it? Mine is the Bible. I've been reading the Bible since I was five, and it has become 
more and more of a clear authority in my life that helps me see everything from God's perspective. I don't think I've ever, I, and I, I was philosophy major as an undergrad, I've studied the world religions, and I've never come across anything that describes reality, the human experience, human aspirations, human problems, why, why we have the conflict in the world we do, the beauty and the goodness and the glory of things in the world as well. This human makeup that on one hand is, is so good and glorious, and then on the other hand, capable of such evil with lurking within every one of our hearts. And so, so the, the Bible has given a phenomenal description of reality that has enabled me to navigate reality in a way that's wise because it's from God's perspective. And so, so I believe the Bible's true, not just because it says it's true and not just because it's inherently consistent within itself, but because it's given me an understanding of who God is, that has given me a relationship with God that has given me a lens through which I see everything. And Shakespeare said, all we need is a rose to prove the existence of God. And so I believe the heavens declare the glory of God and nature does. But that just tells me general things about God. If I want to know God loves me, if I want to know that God is for me in a way that leads to life abundant and eternal, I need to hear a love letter from him. And that's what the Bible is. It's a description of who he is as the lover of our souls and the one who we need more than anyone else. And so the Bible is authoritative because God is. And he's the author of it through inspired human authors. Okay, so um, just a personal question. Would you personally consider a sin to be homosexual? Yeah, because the Bible says it is. And because I think God's design is for sexual relationships to be between a man and a woman in marriage, which is the bedrock of the foundational community in society, which is the family. You can't even procreate the race if homosexuality is the primary uh, relationship. And so I, I understand why I sin. I understand why people sin. I, I think homosexuality is a desire for intimacy. And I think intimacy between the same sex doesn't require quite as much challenging relational work uh there's there's more work i think that needs to be done when a man and a woman try to be in relationship for the rest of their lives than there is for a woman and a woman or a man and a man and so now i think male and female are glorious part a, a glorious part of god's created design from the very beginning that leads to the kind of flir human flourishing family society relationships that he created for us for our good for our delight and for his glory i think male and female in relationship and marriage actually shows us something of who god is in his unity and diversity among father son and holy spirit so i think the glory of god i think imaging god in relationship the bible says i just read it this morning in my time with the lord in ephesians 5 that relationship between the husband and a wife is a reflection of christ and the church even and so these are God-designed, created relationships that that only lead to what he has for us and his love for us when we live according to his design. 
And, you know, the way Janelle was framing the questions earlier, I think, can be misleading because people often say, well, <laughs> why would you like? No, 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 no. You were asking the, the questions in, in the way they frequently get asked, which is your job here, Janelle. That's right. Um, <laughs> you did it. You did it perfectly. But what we'll say is, why would God not want me to love someone? Well, mm -hmm. of course he would not want. He wants you to love everybody. But that's not really what we're talking about, is it? We're not talking about love. We're talking about having sexual intercourse with someone. We're talking about having a relationship that isn't according to God's design, sexually, romantically, in marriage. And what's important to realize is everybody has boundaries on who you get to love. So most people are still very opposed to pedophilia, right? Uh, most people are very opposed to, to loving people by coercion or force. And so we say, well, that's not love. Well, right. That's exactly the point that there are boundaries everyone has, even though they're being pushed more and more. And I don't know how people can justify having any boundaries the way they talk sometimes sexually. But but everybody has some sexual boundaries morally. And then the question is, well, why do you draw them there? Why? Why just one wife? Why not five wives? Uh, so so everybody has boundaries that they think are good for society that they're good for human flourishing and for a Christian according to God's design. Even the legal system has all kinds of boundaries it puts up in who you get to love and who you don't get to love. That's why that phrase, I think, is really misleading. No one is saying don't love people. We're saying who, who should you have sexual relations with and who should you see as someone you have as a, a marriage partner the rest of your life. So, so that's why sexuality is a beautiful design of God but understood the way he does, not the way I, I feel like I would prefer it to be now. And so we even still primarily respect faithfulness and marriage rather than polygamy. Why is that? And who, and who gets to draw that boundary? And, and once we blow away the boundaries, I'm not sure why we have any rationale to have any boundaries on sexual morality. What are your thoughts on Thank that? Thank you. Gary? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, that's a very complicated answer, I have to say. <laughs> but I yeah, well, the, it the simple answer is yes, I do. Well, I love the complicated answer more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon. And if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community. I mean, Eric, you live in Southern California. That Crick Biola is over there. Your uh, worldview isn't popular, I'm sure, uh, you know, g going around where you're at. 
how do you maintain a biblical worldview um, when you have people come up to you? I'm guessing even students who say, um, doctor, you know, this is an issue for me too. Like, I don't like what the Bible has to say about this particular topic. It doesn't even have to be the homosexuality thing. Although I will say on this podcast, that question comes up a lot. Um, and it seems to be the prevalent question of our culture at this time. Um, how do you respond to that when you butt up against it? Yeah, and, and that's, I think, a, a, a real concern I have that we Christians can seem like we're obsessed with this issue. We're not. It just happens to be the one that gets brought up all the time because I think it gets back to how people are identifying themselves now. So I have a son who has some significant disabilities. And I have four adopted kids, and and my son Isaac has some significant disabilities. And I'm I'm really thankful for the nuance and language that has come about recently with people with disabilities, saying it the way I just did. You know, people generally used to say he's disabled, but now they're saying he has disabilities, and I love that shift. I don't want my boy to define himself by his disabilities. I don't want him to define himself by certain limitations he has any more than certain strengths he had. He's an amazing sense of humor, an amazing relational ability, but but I don't want him to reduce his identity to the challenges he has or even strengths he has. But we're doing that more and more. And, and a lot of people who say, well, it's wrong to define someone by their race, quickly then define someone by their sexual desires and behaviors. Very interesting that people who will be most opposed to de- identifying someone based on a character trait like race, will then quickly do it with with sexuality, that that's who I am. And and I, I think that's why this has become such a defining issue, because people see themselves as identified by this. And, and if you reject this behavior, or this desire, you're rejecting me. And that's not true for Christians. Christians love their enemies. We, we love those who hate us. We love those who who break God's laws like King David did. King David broke half the Ten Commandments in that one sin with Bathsheba. And the Bible still was able to call him a man after God's own heart because he repented and turned from his sinful ways. And he had a restored relationship with God, which is which is how we need to view our desires and behaviors. Sometimes they align with God's and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, we need to turn from them and to him in the forgiveness he loves to pour out on us. And so... It has become the defining reality. And so I think it's incredibly important to not give the impression that we see any sin as the sin or worse than anything I've done. Like I said, impatience, God God views impatience as a rebellion against him. And like I said, that's probably the sin I've battled most in my life. And that's a kind of rebellion against God's providence. And so I don't want to minimize that because it, it doesn't seem as bad as other sins. It, it, it's, it, it's an offensive thing. To, to rail against God's providence in my life, even sitting in traffic. So, so we do get asked that all the time, and it's now it's become the defining thing. And you say to people, yeah, I'm a Christian, and the first thing they'll say now is, oh, so you think homosexuality is wrong? You think my gay friend's in sin, don't you? And we'll say, yeah, but but I've been freed from lots of sin in my life too. But that becomes this this, this sticking point for a lot of people. And so we can't be self-righteous in this or see ourselves as better than anyone who doesn't struggle with with that particular sin the way I do. I have dear 
friends and brothers and sisters who battle same-sex attraction in my church here at Biola, and they're fighting the good fight of faith, and they're so amazingly admirable because they're being told constantly they're betraying who they are by not following their their same-sex attraction. Uh, and, and so, so I, I look up to them. I admire them because they have a battle I don't happen to have, but I have battles they don't have. And so, so for us to see this as, as something that may be a desire I have, but it doesn't have to be sinful until I embrace that desire and act out on it. In the same way, I have desires to do evil all the time. If I acted out on all my desires that I initially have, I'd be in prison. I really would. And, and so I, just because I say no to some desires doesn't mean I'm some repressed person living under some restrictive Christian system. It means that we all have to say no all the time to things that come really naturally. Everybody realizes that's mature. That's wise. Imagine if we said everything that came to our minds every time it came to our minds. Jim Carrey has a movie about that where he just always says what's true and it's a disaster right and so so we have this idea of authenticity that's always just doing and saying what comes most naturally and i am so glad we all have self-restraint in that way and and that's a good thing it's not denying who i am wow <laughs> wow really <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> what, what were you expecting, Gaia? <laughs> I don't know, but not this. <laughs> what are you thinking? What's going through your head, Gaia? Oh, it is very, um, I wouldn't say complex, because if you, I mean, if you follow through what he says, you understand it, obviously. And luckily, I can understand English pretty well, even though, uh, excuse my accent, but I've been speaking French and Spanish all day, and I'm Italian. I live in Italy. I speak Italian every day. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, well, I love the answers that I'm getting tonight because this is, uh, I'm here to really find something real, as the podcast says. I want to find what's real in what we say and what I believe in. I want to find what's the truth. I don't want to live, you know, in the doubts, never knowing. Sometimes when I pray, I wonder, like, is he listening? Is he even there? Or am I praying? Am I talking to someone? You know, am I talking to God as a person that I truly, fully believe in? Because as I shared, I consider myself Christian, but I struggle with considering myself a Catholic because I was born and raised as a Catholic. So I also struggle with going to the church. I never feel that kind of connection. I just really never do. But I feel connected to Jesus. I feel connected to God when I pray at night. I feel connected to God when I need him or when I just don't because I know I feel he's there. So getting to know him, getting to know what he is like and what the Bible is like, what I believe in is truly really helping me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. So Eric, I remember a conversation I had a few years ago with a young agnostic, a little less um, gracious than Gaia. <laughs> and if she's listening, I just, I, no, no offense. I just remember we had a very... It was before I was doing the podcast, and maybe I was a little more abrasive with her as well. But I remember um, 
you know, at one point in our conversation, she's like, why does God get to decide? Why, why does he get to decide? I'm going to make, you know, my own decisions. So I, I can think, you know, there might be somebody listening right now who's like, okay, uh, you know what, if that's the God of the universe who, you know, doesn't think that you can love who you want to sexually, then I don't want to serve him. Um, how would you speak to that person um, or, or address this topic with them just in conversation? Yeah, so I, I, I understand that. <clears throat> I, I realize that my perception of the world and what's right and good can feel deeply true to me. And I can believe things that aren't true very sincerely. I can be sincerely wrong. And history is filled with people who are sincerely wrong and end up then making decisions and living a life that doesn't honor God. It isn't what God intended for their life to be for however many years they live on this earth and then for eternity. And so, so I don't want to overestimate my wisdom by myself. I don't want, I realize how often my view is very limited. And if God didn't give us his word in the Bible, it's, it's anybody's guess what's right and what's true. And I have no basis to say anybody's wrong. And I, we have no basis to have a legal system or courts or anybody making rules for anybody. It's to each his own. Who are you to say what's right? But deep down, everybody has a sense of right and wrong. Everybody has a sense of, of the, the moral rightness of telling the truth, the moral rightness of keeping your promises, the moral rightness of of not stealing other people's possessions. We all have a sense of that, that God's given us because he's the, the creator and the lawgiver. And so we all have a sense of that. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We disregard it. We think we know better. But when we adopted one of our kids, all she knew was Mandarin. But one of the first English phrases she learned was, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to try to help her. No, actually, again, according to God's design, we are the boss of you, my wife and I. That's how he's done it. Now, we want to do that well and wisely in a way that is for you. But we are the boss of you. And we all have bosses, starting with God. And so something in us hates being told what to do. Something in me hates not being my own little God. But it's been said that there are two fundamental facts of human enlightenment. One, there is a God. Two, you're not him. And if we can start there and then say, well, who is he then? And what does he call me to live like? Then I can start living a life of wisdom and, and of fulfillment. But but until I get to that point of saying, all right, I'm not God. I don't get to call the shots. He does. But then the great news about that is he is God. He's in charge, but he's beautiful and he's good and he's loving and he's created everything for us to enjoy like the Bible says. And so, so not only is this God a God you have no option but to submit to, you wouldn't want to do anything but to submit to him once you get to know who he is because he's the only one in whom life is found. And, and he's the God who gives us pleasures forevermore. And so he's not just true and authoritative. He's good and beautiful. And there's nothing lacking in him. And so he's the one who gives you life. He's the one who leads you beside the still waters and restores your soul. And so not only should you obey God, 
you should want to because he's good as well as true. So follow-up question to that for a skeptic listening, and this might be a, one of those harder questions. So I, I want to ask you because you're a Bible scholar and this won't be hard for you. <laughs> um, somebody listening might, might have said, uh, you know what? I've read about this God. I've read about this God in the Bible. And you know, uh, I've read a, what Richard Dawkins says about him. You know, the God of the Old Testament is the most egotistical, maniacal, whatever. You know, all these different things that he did. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of TikTokers to figure out that there's things in the Old Testament that are hard to wrestle through, even as a Christian. Um, I remember, you know, my husband and I, we try to read the Bible every morning. And when we first read through the Bible, I remember, you know, years ago, I remember looking at some of the things thinking, they never taught me that in Sunday school. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think that it's good to to reconcile, you know, because the same God uh, that, you know, spoke the world into existence and the universe is the same God that sent his son. It's the same God that loves us, that is love. And like you're saying, also wrath and justice and those kind of things. So for somebody who's like, well, that doesn't seem like the same God. Would you speak to that uh, briefly, Eric? Because I feel like that's a real hang up for a lot of people. I don't know if Gaia specifically it is, but um, I think that it's something uh, that people consider a lot nowadays, especially. Right. Great question. It's so important to one understand the unity of god's attributes in in the like i was saying before but the way we get to a unified understanding of god's character is through a whole bible understanding of who god is i'm writing a book right now i'm on a research leave writing a book called 20 things christians should probably stop saying and one of the chapters i, I think we should probably stop using the phrase this is my favorite verse or this is my favorite book what we mean by that, I think, is God's really used this powerfully in my life, which is great. But I wish we would say that because once we start using favorite language, we get pretty selective. And what that then means is these are less favored verses and less favored books of the Bible. But we need a whole Bible understanding because the Bible's a story. And we don't read, we read the Bible unlike any other book. Imagine if you just parachuted into different places in a book you're reading all the time and never read it as a story. And so when we're in the story of the Bible, we need to know where we are in the story. And when people go to the Old Testament and they see the nation of Israel representing God in that theocratic Old Covenant context, it, it can seem appalling that he calls them to warfare, for instance, or even the law that he implements has some really strange things. But what's wonderful about the Bible is it's a story through history. It's not just wise sayings dropped from heaven. It's God revealing himself to real people in real times, in real places, a bunch of knuckleheads like us that keep getting God pressing home his presence to them. And it's an unfolding story that develops over time. So we need to realize where we are in the story. When we get to the new covenant and everything in the old covenant and in the story till then has been preparing us for Jesus, it's what just what you said, Janelle. Uh, God has been requiring sacrifice in the Old Testament. Why? To prepare us understanding the need for sacrifice, because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and the wages of sin is death. But then what does he do? He provides the ultimate sacrifice himself by sending his son, and the son joyfully takes our place in that sacrifice. And so knowing where we are in the glorious story 
and realizing that it's done through time, which gives it a difficulty in the need to get back and understand it in that 5,000 year ago context and culture. But once we understand it as a story and a revelation to, of God to real people in real places and times, it takes on a realness to it and a meaning to it. It otherwise wouldn't have it were just wise sayings dropped from heaven. And so we look at, we look at the nation of Israel, for instance, carrying out justice of God in the old covenant. And we don't have that in the new covenant because he poured out his justice on his son. He poured out his wrath on his son. And now as the church, our job is to not be God's instrument of justice like Israel was, but to offer a way of peace and offering people to be able to flee the wrath to come on judgment day someday. And so our job now is to, to warn people and offer forgiveness this side of the coming judgment. And the fact is God has the right to be the judge of all the earth. He's the creator. And deep down, don't we want justice? I couldn't live in a world where I didn't think that there was going to be justice one day. Just things that happen today would drive me completely <laughs> bonkers if I didn't think the judge was coming someday. I, I couldn't live in a world like that. It's I think it can be very ethnocentric for especially American Christians to chafe at the wrath of God and think it's an appalling idea. People in the rest of the world who are, who are butchered and murdered, they they can't live without a, war, a judge someday. And so, so because our lives can be so easy here in, in this country, for instance, we're like, wow, what's God's deal? Why is he so upset about injustice and sin? Well, because he's holy and he's perfect. And don't you hate injustice, especially when it affects your life? Yeah, I do. I want justice if somebody scratches my car in the parking lot. Never mind, you know, someone who's who's doing great evil. So I I can rest. And like the Bible says, vengeance is my say to the Lord, which is why we can be peacemakers. We don't have to take vengeance in our own hands because we believe God will come and judge judge the world one day and all things will be made right. That's how I can sleep at night. Yeah. That's a great answer. Um, I'm going to ask one more and then, uh, Guy, I want your, uh, you know, reflections on this but one question I love to ask people uh, because it's told a little differently each time but it's always so compelling um, I love to ask if you would share the gospel briefly um, for someone listening who it, you know they hear all this God talk and it's like what what is that gospel that he you know what is that story why did Jesus why did he pay the price and why does it matter for me I think the best place to start the gospel is in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God. He is God. He's the creator. He made everything. We answer to him for the way we live our lives. Our lives have meaning only from his perspective. Uh, everything has meaning from his perspective. And so God's the creator. And the amazing news is he created us for himself. He made us in his image. And our primary purpose is to have a relationship with him and image him to the world and glorify him in the process. So then the question has to be, well, how am I doing with that? Am I glorifying God? Am I honoring him in my life? Do I have a relationship with him? And I need to go to him to find that out. I can't just sort of make up, oh yeah, I commune with God or I'm, I'm spiritual. I need to say, well, how does God define a relationship with him? And the first thing I realize is he says, I have a broken relationship with him because of my sin. That, that I have this heart that we all humans share that's in rebellion against him. I want my own way, not his. 
And that's how we all boot up. And if we're honest, we'll recognize that humans have a sin problem. And that sin problem is rebellion against God saying, no, I'm, I'm going to run my life my own way. Thank you very much. And I'm not stuck there, though. The great news is God recognized my the rightness of the judgment that I deserve. But he judged his son in my place. And Jesus came as one of us. The eternal son becomes a human being and takes our place in his perfect life of righteousness, his perfect sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. And when I simply turn from my sin and put my trust in him rather than my sin and myself, everything changes. And the Bible says I'm now a new creature in Christ. And I walk by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I die with Christ and I rise with him by faith. And now I'm a co-heir with him. And I have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in him. And I'm not just forgiven, but I'm declared righteous by him. And there's nothing left for me to do, add, earn, prove, demonstrate. Jesus paid it all. And my faith in him changes everything forever. And, and now I have a relationship with him, which is the defining reality of my life, and gives me an abundant life now, an eternal life with him. Jesus in our place is the gospel. Is there any sin that could separate you so bad that you couldn't receive that, that gift? Only, only the sin of not receiving think that's what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is that that's sort of unforgivable the only unforgivable sin is not caring about being forgiven and not thinking Jesus is the one who can do that that that's ultimate rebellion against our Creator that he offers a solution in Christ free of charge and we say nah I'll go my own way I got it Okay, thoughts, Gaia, and then I'm going to ask the final question, unless you have any that you want to ask as a follow-up. No, I was just going to say that I really agree with um, the thing that we we have the power of being forgiven because we are given that opportunity to ask for forgiveness. But sometimes we do not realize that, and we are just letting things be and go in the flow, but... I think the biggest sin is actually not even trying to be forgiven by God because we know God will forgive us, but we don't even try it sometimes because sometimes we have too much pride and we are not humble enough for that. And I think that in front of God, no one should have, you know, pride in just being, oh no, I know everything. I don't need to. Uh, even talk to God. I don't even have to figure things out because I have everything. I got it. I don't need any help. But I think that everyone on earth needs God in their life. Like it is, I think it's something very necessary. I don't think I will be able to live without knowing that God is there. And I wouldn't be able to just be so determined in what I do and keeping doing things that I like and loving the things that I do without God's support. Oh, so well said, Gaia. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so true. And I love that you, that you highlighted the pride in that because our pride can lead us to either think we don't even need forgiveness or it could lead us to thinking, well, I know God says he'll forgive me, but, but I want to earn it. I want to work for it. Something in me hates grace. There's something in me that hates grace, even though I desperately need it because I want to, I want to, work for it. I want to deserve it. I want to 
take pride in what I've accomplished, even in having a relationship with God. And so it is, pride can lead me to think I don't even need forgiveness, or it can lead me to think, well, God will never forgive me. I better work it off. So true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I want to wrap up here with the final question that we ask all of our guests. Eric, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Real is an acronym for those things. Restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus, and of course there's many others, but those are the ones that fit the acronym, uh, which one stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? I, w- I would say restoration. I'm more, maybe more keenly aware of the brokenhearted nature of this world and whether it's natural evil like cancer or moral evil like unfaithfulness in marriage or or unreconciled relationships or the social upheaval we see all around us the earthquake that just happened this world needs restoration desperately and if we try to act like there's no right or wrong or no good or evil or there isn't a desperate need for all things to be made new we're just not paying attention and i as a pastor as somebody who works with people constantly it's not just stuff in my own life but in the lives of other people that shows me how desperately we need restoration and how amazingly we have it in jesus and that he will make all things new we're, we're told in the lord's prayer to pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven and that's where we're heading and i want to be someone who is an agent of restoration, who seeks it in my relationship with God that I have in Jesus, but I want greater intimacy. I think restoration is the word that really stood out to me most. And I'm so grateful one day, everything will be made new and there will be complete restoration. Amen. I love that. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that. But if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.